0: Political bullsh- the left right now is extremely divided. On one hand, you have people that are all gung-ho about voting for Joe Biden. They're actually excited to vote for him. And in general, these people are more than thrilled to hear about him picking Kamala Harris as his running mate. And then on the other hand, you have people that are more or less disgusted at the idea of voting for Joe Biden. And they're pretty much outright refusing to do so out of principle, or at the very least, they're on the fence about it. And then him picking Kamala only further confirmed their disgust. And then you have a lot of people floating somewhere in the middle, not really excited about voting for Joe, but excited about voting against Trump, and they're willing to do whatever they have to do to get that done. But between these groups, there's a large disconnect right now. It's almost becoming as thick as the Democrat-Republican divide. Each side is very firm in their stance, and they can hardly fathom the idea of having the other's perspective. And there's no clear bridge between them. There's no clear path that we can see that we can all at least somewhat agree on. Now, I can't relate to the people that are actually excited to vote for Joe Biden as a candidate, but that doesn't really matter because they don't really need me to relate to them. But I am a progressive, and I am a radical. And that's who I want to reach out to, the progressives and the radicals. Those who can hardly stomach the idea of placing their vote for a neoliberal centrist like Joe Biden. And I fully understand the argument against him. I'm far from a Democratic cheerleader. I'm just as critical of the Democratic Party as I am of the Republican Party, possibly even more so, because I feel this day and age, it's generally more important to push your own party in the right direction as it is to just push against your opposition. Of course, everybody wants the other party to lose, so it's always easy to focus on that, but you can't let that steal all of your attention as far too many people let it. Because if your party starts swaying from its original values, the reason that you associated yourself with that party in the first place, if it strays from those values, you're never going to win. And that's what it feels like being a progressive right now, as the DNC just continues to push these neoliberal centrists year after year. So I understand every reason not to vote for Biden. He doesn't support Medicare for all, at all. He doesn't support federal legalization of marijuana. He supports state legalization, but yeah, it's, it's 2020, guy. Let's end it already. We should have been well past this debate decades ago. He voted for the Iraq War, supported the Patriot Act, authored the crime bills, pushed for bankruptcy reform that essentially harmed Americans in order to help financial institutions. All of these reasons are reasons not to support Joe Biden. And then he offers very little on the surface to vote for him. Some baby step progress in Medicare, lowering the age by five years, raising the minimum wage. The opportunity to pick a reasonable, decent Supreme Court judge this time around? Some good reasons. But when you put those good reasons up against the manipulation within the DNC that elevated him to the nomination, plus his atrocious voting record, it's just not nearly enough. As Nina Turner said, voting for Joe Biden is like eating a half a bowl of shit. And she is spot on. The best thing about Joe Biden is that it's only he's only half a bowl of shit. It's not a whole bowl of shit. Or a a big steaming wok full of shit. It's just half a bowl of shit. She's not wrong in that way. Another common question that I see going around, I've even used myself, can you make an argument for Joe Biden without mentioning Donald Trump? And this is where that first group of Biden supporters, the enthusiastic supporters, they jump on it and they say, yeah, he's he's the most progressive candidate we've ever had. He's like the new FDR. He's going to take the environment seriously. He's going to listen to science. And... As a progressive, hearing this kind of stuff just makes me cringe coming from the left. I see a lot of those points, and without considering Trump, it's just desperate optimism. And in my opinion, they're hardly valid points at all. But considering that question, my perspective of the question has changed. My answer hasn't changed. My answer is still the same, but my perspective changed, and that's what made the difference. No, I can't make a good argument for voting for Joe Biden without mentioning Trump. But I don't need to because it's that important that we don't allow Trump to stay in the White House a day longer than we already have to. And this video is about why. It's not a lesser of two evils argument because I don't take this stance lightly because the act of voting for Biden without considering the incumbent in office, that goes against my entire value system. And typically the act of voting for Biden, even with considering the incumbent in office, that also goes against my value system because I don't believe we should support somebody based off the letter next to their name or some empty rhetoric. We have to vote based off of substance, the substance of that candidate. But I believe that this year is truly an exception. And I feel like a lot of people can see that. It's just hard for them to come to the conclusion because they make the mistake of believing that they have to find a way to just ignore all of these points in order to flip their stance and actually vote for Biden. And I feel like that's what's holding a lot of these people back. They feel like they have to somehow accept the cons as good or find a way to just flat-out ignore them. And one of the reasons they might think this is because a lot of the enthusiastic Biden supporters actually do this. They just justify everything or they just flat-out ignore it. And then you look at the attempts that were made to argue that you should just accept the bad and vote for him anyway, and those were just terribly misguided, saying, I would vote for Joe Biden even if he boiled and ate babies. Like, nobody's going to go for that especially the people that that article is trying to convert. Nobody's going to believe Trump is worse than somebody who kills and eats babies. That kind of approach just pushes people further away. Just like the approach of just ignoring all the bad and having this delusional perspective that Biden is actually an amazing progressive candidate. That's going to be the new FDR. Like People can see right through that. Maybe the delusional tactics work on Fox News viewers, but it's not going to work on progressives. they are just too many negatives that negate all of the positives when you lay it out that way. There needs to be a real, substantive reason. You can't just ignore the bad because that involves being dishonest to yourself. People are unwilling to do that, as they should. You shouldn't be dishonest to yourself. You shouldn't abandon your values. And that's exactly how I felt. But my perspective changed when I realized I don't have to find a way to turn the cons into pros. I don't have to feel like a delusional follower blindly accepting whatever's thrown at me. When people bring up the negative aspects of Joe Biden, you don't have to jump to his defense. You don't have to try and justify things that you know in your heart are wrong. You can say, yeah, I know. I agree with you. And I also hate all of those things about him. And that's why it sucks that Donald Trump is that bad that I still have to vote for Joe Biden. But how is Donald Trump that bad? Does it, does it really justify voting for him? How is it that bad that it justifies temporarily abandoning some of your most basic values? Keyword though, is temporarily. You aren't actually altering your values or your ideology. But how is it that bad? Because Trump is leading the country down an irreversible path of destruction. Destruction of truth and democracy. And that will lead to the destruction of the country. And I'm not going to go on about his pandemic response and his economic response and his response to the protests. I don't want to focus on what he's done because his actions have been clearly documented and I've done plenty of other videos on all of those things. What concerns me is how he continues to garner so much enthusiastic support even after everything he's done. So I don't want to focus on what he's done, but on how he did it and how he's gotten away with it because that is what explains why we can't afford to continue down this path. See, Trump has always been a liar. At first, it was for the sake of entertainment. In the 80s, he became a new type of celebrity, a celebrity New York real estate mogul. He was exceptionally successful at it because he was able to conform to the needs of entertainment. And he became this ideal spectacle of entertainment. And that eventually led him to reality TV stardom. And he was able to convert that celebrity image to his political success. And he uses the same methods that he used to build his celebrity to build his status as a politician. And the easiest way for Donald Trump, the politician, to garner support based in post-truth and spectacle is to prey on the traumatized working class devastated by deindustrialization and feed into the elements of our society that are fueled by tradition. Racism, sexism, xenophobia, nationalism. He does this by putting on this image as a man that talks like them. He isn't a politician. That implies that he's safe from corruption. He talks about draining the swamp. All that empty rhetoric. But ultimately, what all he's doing is directing the anger and frustration that these people feel, the people whose lives are destroyed by deindustrialization, the victims of capitalism and corporatism. He's directing their anger away from the source of their trauma, the corporations and the capitalist system that exploited them and continues to exploit the working class. And instead, he directs that anger toward the other, the minorities, the immigrants, the lazy liberals that don't want to work. And this is where he feeds into racism, xenophobia, nationalism. And traditional conservatives, of which there are many, they're angry and frustrated, and far too quickly, they fall for that rhetoric. Because it's a simple explanation, and it's an easy scapegoat to accept. Trump is a man that feels their pain. He talks like them. He's angry at the same things they are. He understands them. He's willing to say what everyone else is afraid to say. Tell it like it is, say the quiet part out loud, and he's going to make things right. Never mind that he didn't follow through with hardly any of his promises that would have actually helped the working class. He never drained the swamp. He's bathing in the swamp. He never got those jobs back. He's actually outsourced more jobs than Obama did. But as long as he keeps the image, the idea, the anger alive, it doesn't matter. The substance is irrelevant in the world of Donald Trump. His actual actions are irrelevant. It's the idea that he's this guy that's important. Just like his days as a reality TV star, he played a successful businessman. The successful businessman. The one that everyone looked up to. The one on a throne. The one that shit in a golden toilet on the highest floor in the tallest buildings. Despite the fact that he inherited all of his money and he's actually not very successful at all as a businessman. But that didn't matter. Because he conformed his image for entertainment. And he found a way to override reality with image. And he continues to focus on conforming his image over reality. And this becomes very dangerous in the world of politics. Because when you, be, when you play so deeply on these emotions, the emotions begin to overshadow truth. Not in an obvious way. They're, they're not saying, I feel like this is true. No. Their emotions rule their reality. Because Donald Trump gave them permission to assume what they want to be true is what is actually true. What makes them comfortable is what is true. The rest is fake news. And he uses this as a weapon against the left, creating a steep divide within the people. He uses it on the media. And most importantly, and most subtly, he uses it against us. Because in a post-truth world, actions and reality begin to lose relevance which benefits those in charge. And it's clear that this is happening right now. Just look around. There's a large portion of the population that's adopted a post-truth ideology. And their ideology to them is irrefutable by nature. Because facts mean nothing in a post-truth world. It used to be facts don't care about your feelings. Now it's the facts are your feelings. And once we lose truth, we lose hope. Because then the battle is over. Professor Timothy Snyder said, post-truth is pre-fascism, and Trump's main strategy is to negate the truth. Look at this clip from an interview in 2017. I just wanted to find out though, you're you're the president of the United States. You said he was sick and bad because he had tapped you. You can take it any way you want. But I'm asking you because you don't want it to be fake news. I want to hear it from President Trump. You don't have to ask me. Why not? Because I have my own opinions. You can have your own opinions. But I want to know your opinions. You're the president of the United States. It's enough. Thank you. Thank you very much. Notice how much he relies on being able to call the media fake news. It's his biggest complaint. It's fake news. Everything's fake news. But he doesn't hate it. He loves it. It's the driving factor of Trumpism. It's the engine that keeps the wheels moving. Because if he can successfully tear down the journalists and the reporters, then he is in charge of the truth. To quote Professor Timothy Snyder again, If nothing is true, then no one can criticize power, because there is no basis upon which to do so. If nothing is true, then all is spectacle. We cannot allow the abandonment of reality for Trump's reality. The consequences of this are devastating. It starts on the surface. Look at how this pandemic has affected us. The pandemic accelerated the efforts. He had to accelerate them to stabilize his image, which is why things got so bad so fast. Because you can't lie your way through a pandemic, especially one that can rip through the population as quickly as this one. It's too real for his image to override but it didn't stop him from trying. He never abandoned the spectacle in favor of pragmatic leadership. Instead, he continued to resort to nationalism, acting like it can't happen to us. Not because we will stop it, simply because it just can't. Because we're the United States of America, the greatest country in the history of the world. And to take it seriously, to consider the fact that it could happen to us, just as it could happen to any other country in the world, That would be to abandon his nationalist view. And he can't do that because everything about him hinges on nationalism. The deaths, the cases, the economic destruction, it all means nothing as long as he can keep his image intact. Because a post-truth population doesn't need to be fine. It just needs to believe it's fine. This is why the country is so divided right now. Half the population believes we're doing fine. And that somebody else, Joe Biden, is going to come along and ruin it the rest of us, we know we're not doing fine. That we're far from doing fine. That Trump's lack of action in favor of post-truthism has led to 170,000 dead Americans and a ruined economy that's on the brink of a multi-decade collapse. We know we're not doing fine. That's one thing we can all agree on. Where we're divided is where to go from here. The removal of Donald Trump, in my opinion, takes very top priority. His leadership is taking the country in a direction that may soon be irreversible. And our top priority has to be to reverse it right now. That doesn't mean that we give up on our battles within the Democratic Party. That's always going to be important because the two-party system, as it stands today, is a shameful excuse for a democracy. But we have to consider priorities. Look at it like a house. Sure, the windows need replacing. The furnace is broken. The septic is backing up. But none of that matters when the house is burning down. Trust me, I had my tool belt on. I was elbow deep in the shitpipes, ready to do whatever I had to do to stop the DNC from further fucking us. But when I smell smoke, and I see fire, and it's turning into a structural fire, those shitpipes gotta wait. You gotta put out the fire. And I get it. It's painful to watch as the DNC is taking advantage of this situation. Because they are. Forcing two neoliberal centrists onto the ticket because they know... We have no choice but to vote for them? Like they're basically going around smashing more windows as we're trying to put out this fire and that will not be forgiven. But we still have to put the fire out. And you don't have to ignore that to put the fire out. You don't have to try and find some way to just be okay with it in order to put the fire out. It's simply a matter of priorities when trying to determine how to deal with multiple issues at once. It hurts as somebody with true progressive values To vote for a neoliberal centrist like Joe Biden, the idea of it hurts. But this is an exceptional situation that calls for a temporary shift of priorities. It doesn't mean you're no longer progressive. It doesn't mean you're abandoning your morals. It doesn't mean you're selling out to the establishment. It's a thought-out, reasonable response to an extreme and exceptional circumstance. And it's going to be easier to push further left with Joe Biden in office than it is with Donald Trump in office. I mean, they still have to win every four years. And just because there was this one exceptional election doesn't mean you can't retain your critical approach to the left. It doesn't mean you're going to treat every election like an exceptional election, and you 100% should not do that. I've made that argument in previous videos where I talk about voting third party before I shifted my priorities, that every election, it seems like the reasonable thing to do is to just comply and vote blue that every election requires an emergency vote against the right. And that's why we always get so many blue no matter whoers and lesser of two evilers and all those mindsets that poison the left, which I am deeply against because it's essentially nationalism on a micro partisan level. I wasn't buying it then and I'm not buying it now. Every year cannot be an emergency vote. And I might sound contradictory and hypocritical right now, but after much consideration, it's only after much consideration It's become clear that this year truly is an emergency election. And I'm so convinced of it that I will eat that half a bowl of shit. I'm not going to be happy about it because I don't like eating shit. And just because I'm voting for the Democratic candidate doesn't mean I'm accepting the DNC and their actions. Because their actions force me to eat half a bowl of shit. But I still got to eat it because the alternative is just that much worse. The alternative isn't just Donald Trump. It's the acceleration of everything we're seeing today. It's the destruction of democracy. It's the destruction of our government. It's the destruction of our nation. Political bullshit.